All right, welcome back as we continue on here. Don't forget, we do have the NFL game tonight. We've got the courtesy of Westwood One Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night, and the Chiefs play here home and away all season long. So if you can't be in front of your TV tonight and you have to watch the Jets and the Browns for some reason, uh, or you, if you can't, you can hear it right here. Let's get Frank Schwab, YahooSports.com, part of the shutdown corner. And Frank, we're going to talk NFL, I promise, but boy, oh boy, the state is the anticipation for this Wisconsin in Iowa game. It's a week four game as you know. Kinnick Stadium at night special place in a very tough environment for teams as Ohio State got trounced last year. Um, th- th- this is going to be just off the charts I think. I don't think we're we're overestimating the importance of this game particularly with Wisconsin coming off a loss. Granted both teams start the slate in the Big Ten but uh, what happened last week when BYU picked them off at Camp Randall? <laughs> The funny thing is, you know, I'm sitting here watching the game, and, you know, in the third quarter, really, you're starting to think, wow, this is kind of happening. Uh, this, They got a chance to lose this game. And I also thought, there's nothing fluky about this. It's not that, you know, the BYU recovered six fumbles or some pass was tipped up and what. No, BYU completely outplayed Wisconsin. And the most troubling thing is they, they pretty much outplayed them on both lines. Like the, I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw against you know I, I that that BYU level opponent. I'm not I've seen it against Ohio State or Alabama, but I've never seen an opponent like that just dominate Wisconsin's offensive line. And it was an offensive line that was supposed to have you know three first round picks. I it was a very troubling game. There's there's some injuries in Wisconsin's defense, but that doesn't excuse it. That it was terrible. Yeah, I wish. You know, I wish Wisconsin was going into this game undefeated. I'd be a lot more excited about it. Now I'm just kind of thinking this Wisconsin team might have just been completely overrated and not really that good. I, I don't know. We're we're still early, but boy, it didn't look good on Saturday. That was a, that was a tough one. And you know, you know, maybe they were looking forward to this game because they obviously know the meaning of it. I mean, you play Week Four primetime game against Iowa. You you, you kind of know the. The Big Ten West, uh, there's a lot of implications there, but whatever whatever they did on last Saturday just looked off. Frank, uh, you're a guy that grew up in the state of Wisconsin. You, uh, well, you got to grow up in the golden era, at least for me, when Iowa would throttle Wisconsin every year, but that changed <laughs> with, with Barry Alvarez. What do you do think of, of the rivalry with Iowa-Wisconsin? What, what kind of pops into your head? Yeah, it was, it was when I got to school in 96 is when I got to school. I think Iowa had won like 21 in a row or something like that. It was wow. crazy. I mean, this is still, you know, it's six, seven years into Barry's tenure. And then I think it was 97 that it, it, the Wisconsin upset them. It was 13 10 game, really kind of an ugly game. I think Dane got hurt early. Eddie Faulkner had a big game. <laughs> if I'm, you know, they're pulling names really out of the blue. Uh, and then it kind of changed. And, I just remember the one thing I remember that you know I mean I'm on the opposite end of this rivalry. I'll always remember the 1999 game. I mean that when Wisconsin needs to beat Iowa to to win the Big Ten to go to the Rose Bowl, and they needed I think it was 99 yards to get the the Ricky Williams all time record, and that he handled that by the second quarter. I believe Wisconsin mm-hmm. wins 41 to three. It's 
it's probably outside of the like the Rose Bowls, the greatest day in program history. So great rivalry, fun. I, these, these programs really are mirror images. I mean, it's they're never going to recruit the five star kids. They're never going to have you know. They're never going to be that spread them out. We're going to throw the ball around everywhere with our NFL level quarterback. Aside from really kind of Russell Wilson one year, <laughs> it, they're just kind of they're just going to grind it out. I, I mean, they're going to develop players from within. They're going to develop good offensive linemen. They're going to play a certain way, and it's going to be very successful. Both programs have had a great amount of success through the years. Uh, Frank Schwab covers the NFL at YahooSports.com. So let's get over there, Frank, and uh, we, as we anticipate a really good game uh, at Kinnick on Saturday night. You know, I want to start with the Jacksonville-New England game, and, you know, you hear the term, you know, a rematch thrown around, and I guess technically it is, although it's a new year, and, uh, and the scene shifted to Florida as opposed to Gillette Stadium. But when you watch that game, and, and knowing the outcome, the way that it did turn out in Jacksonville's favor, when you see New England... I don't want to say the window's closing. I think America hopes it is. We respect them, I think, but just it's time for some new blood. Do you get the sense that the Patriots are sliding backwards at this point? And I hate to base it on one game, but Jacksonville was the better team. Yeah, and I look at it, you know, maybe I'm just, you know, maybe I'm just being overly positive towards Jacksonville, but I just looked at that as that was Jacksonville's kind of statement game. And nothing. It wasn't. I don't think really anything against the Patriots. I just think the Jacksonville Jaguars are really good. Their defense is unbelievable. And if they're going to get that kind of a performance out of Blake Bortles, that that's who they're going to be. I think that we misconstrue Blake Bortles sometimes. We think of him as a bad quarterback. He's not necessarily bad. He's just inconsistent. We we see good games out of Blake Bortles, and Sunday was probably his best game of his career. It's just the bad games pop up. And then, you know, I mean, he throws for 80 yards in a wild card win against the Bills, and, and they have to hide him, basically. You know, that, that's part of the Blake Bortles experience, and it always will be, I think. I don't think he's ever going to be, hey, we could just set it and forget that Blake is a good quarterback. But he does have his good moments, and he had one on Sunday. And if he does that, the Jacksonville Jaguars are really, really, really hard to beat. But I, I just... I'm just so I'm just so over trying to write off the Patriots. I've done it before. Yeah, I've, me too. I, I, yeah, I mean, last year against the Kansas City Chiefs, they looked absolutely awful, and then they end up going to a Super Bowl. So I, you know, I guess it, a few years ago, I think it was 2014 season. You know, the, the Monday night game against Kansas City, where they just got trounced, and I ended up writing, "Hey, was this the end? They looked <laughs> terrible that night. They looked horrible," and then. You know, at the end of the year when they win a Super Bowl at NFL Network did the Do Your Job special, you know, Josh McDaniels is sitting there reading my story as part of, you know, I mean, they, they did this clip of, like, all the assistant coaches reading the stories, burying them, and there's Josh reading mine, and I kind of thought, oh, yeah, that was kind of dumb to write them off. I, I just can't do it anymore. I just, look, when we get to the end of the season and the Patriots are 8-8, eight and eight, that's fine. We'll, we'll, mm. we'll get there and we'll talk about it, but not until then. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it also needs to be said they still play in the AFC East. Good point. They, you know, are the Dolphins for real? I don't think so. I think the Patriots be just fine. You know, uh, for the second consecutive week, we get a tie. Neither team is happy. The adage is ties like kissing your sister. Who should be more happy, though, walking away with that game in Lambeau Field last week with the tie? The Vikings, who came back and scored 22 in the fourth, or the Packers, who survived? Who should be happier with the tie? Yeah, right. First of all, let's say this. I hate, I've hate. i hated it since day one. I hate it now. 
I hate the NFL cutting down the overtime to 10 minutes. It just means we're going to get more ties, mm-hmm. and ties stink. Ooh. I mean, the NHL dealt with this problem, yep. and they basically said, if fans don't like ties, we're going to put it in a shootout, even though it's kind of dumb to decide games that way, because fans hate ties. The NFL is actively giving us more ties with the 10-minute overtime, acting like five more minutes of NFL football is the difference between guys getting hurt or not. I, I don't, I've never understood. Anyway, when I look at that game Sunday... I think it, let's look at a big picture instead of just what happened because I think both teams have regrets. I think the Packers regret blowing the fourth quarter. I think the Vikings regret that the rookie kicker couldn't make a 35-yard field goal straight on from the middle of the hash marks. I think when you look at the big picture, though, the Vikings are the winner there because they got a half a win at Lambeau Field. Mm-hmm. And now you've basically put the Packers in a position where they have to win at Minnesota on November 25th to win the NFC North. And if you... The difference between winning a division and not winning a division is enormous. I mean, one of those two teams likely is going to get a first-round bye, whoever wins the division. The other one's going to be playing week one at Philadelphia. Mm. You know, I mean, it's it's a huge difference. And who knows how the teams are going to play out. I mean, maybe the Packers win the division by four games. I don't know. But I, I think if you had to predict right now, if you had to look at the crystal ball, you'd think because of that half win, because of the tiebreaker implications of head-to-head, the Packers are probably going to have to win at Minnesota in late November, and that's a really, really tough deal. Mm-hmm. We are the uh, home and away voice of the Kansas City Chiefs. A lot of Chiefs fans listening to us right now. A lot of Chiefs fans really giddy what they've seen the first couple of weeks yeah. out of their young quarterback in Pat Mahomes. They can't stop anybody, Frank. This is like a, watching a Big 12 football game. They're going to score a bunch of points, but you're going to have to win 49-42 <laughs> a lot of weeks. Are they built to do that, this Chiefs team? And uh, your thoughts on the QB? I mean, let's let's start it with this. They're the most exciting team in the NFL. That's the one mm-hmm. I'm going to be watching every week. I mean, if you if you can only watch one team, it's probably Kansas City Chiefs. I'll say I, I I don't know if they can you know keep this up all season and 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 you know I mean it's just going to be hard when your defense gives up that many points. But it's it's a very good offense. It's an incredible offense, and I, I, we I, we saw this in the preseason. And I'm pretty sure we talked about it where. I'm sitting there watching Patrick Mahomes, and we all know the physical skills. Everyone, we've heard it a million times how big he is. How, and I, I remember seeing him in, in the Super at Super Bowl Radio Row, thinking, "Man, does this dude need to like turn sideways to get through door frames? He's so <laughs> broad shouldered, a big kid, and and we all know that about him, right? But I'm watching in the preseason, saying, "Boy, this guy like." He knows how to read a defense and make his progressions and go with the ball. He looks like a five-year veteran out there, but hey, you know what? Whatever. This is vanilla defenses. Let's see him do it in a regular season. And he looks even better in a regular season. I, when you add the physical gifts he has with this really unique ability to, to see the game as a first-year starter, I'm blown away. I, I mean, I thought he had the widest range of outcomes of anybody in the NFL this year, any player. He could have he could have been a Jake Cutler twenty interception type of guy, and we wouldn't have been surprised. Or I, I said this in August, he he could be in the MVP conversation at the end of the year. I don't know if I necessarily believe that when I said it, but I do now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we look at it. He's the if we were voting on MVP dumbly after two weeks. We Pat Mahomes is your MVP, and there's no reason to believe he can't win an MVP. I mean, it's crazy. But, I mean, I guess Carson Wentz cracked that way last year before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes can do the same thing. Why can't he be the MVP of the NFL this season? He's he's amazing. I think he's going to be a, he's, he's an absolute canvas superstar. I think if, if you're asking me what quarterback would I want who's under 25 years old, I'd probably still pick Wentz. But, boy, if you told me it's Mahomes as your pick, okay. I'm really not going to argue too much with you. 
crazy th- mm. this early in his career. We're at that point, but that's certainly the case with Mahomes. Well, one of his classmates from that class two years ago is Mitchell Trubisky. Saw a little good. Mm-hmm. Saw quite a bit of bad, too, in the Monday night victory for the Bears. The progression of him, and are you a believer, Matt Nagy, the quarterback whisperer who helped develop Patrick Mahomes last season in Kansas City, that he is going to get things figured out, or is there a talent deficiency as it pertains to being an NFL quarterback, making all the plays, making all the throws? Yeah, it's tough. I, I, I We can't. The problem is we see a guy like Mahomes, we see a guy like Deshaun Watson, and you know, same draft class, but it's not necessarily the same progress, the same development timetable for every quarterback. I mean, some take a little bit of time, some some don't. I almost look at last year for Mitchell Trubisky being, it almost doesn't count. I mean, he was with a terrible, horrible coaching staff for him that was never going to develop him. It's almost like a, a daycare without adults. I mean, what, what, what good are you getting out of it? I mean, he's just... He was just a rudderless ship last year with nobody to throw to and no coaches to help him. So I almost look at this as his rookie season. And when I say, when, when I, so when I look at him struggling a little bit, he's had his good moments too. When I see him struggling a little bit here and there, I kind of just say, okay, that's, that's normal. That's fine. But it, it is worrisome that he's inaccurate because the one thing that rarely fixes itself is accuracy. Now I know Matthew Stafford did. Uh, he became a much more accurate quarterback than he was in college, but it's rare. And usually if you're inaccurate right away or in college, you're going to be inaccurate the rest of your career, and that's going to kill you. That's going to ruin your, your career. I, I don't know, though. I mean, so early in his development, I'm willing to be patient with him because we do see the good things. We we have seen really good passes, good decisions. I think he does have the right coaching staff now. So I'm willing to give him patience and, and say I really still believe in him. But yes, there are some troubling things. No question about it. Mm. Frank, uh, look, I'm not minimizing tonight's game. We'll get your opinion uh, later on before we get you out of here, the uh, the Browns and the Jets. But a week from tonight, when Fox takes over, they really do have a real good Thursday night schedule. Thursday night football, not what it once was. Uh, the Rams and the Vikings. Look. The first tiebreaker is head-to-head, and we could be in this spot if the, both the Rams and the Vikings take care of business like most people believe that they will, that they ultimately will be the best two teams in their respective divisions. But Rams-Vikings a week from tonight, whew, pretty big game in the NFC. Yeah, it's you really you hit it in that when Fox got the package, the NFL decided this is, this is going to kind of be our Sunday night football, too, that we're going to put – Marquee matchups out here, and we're gonna we're gonna help out Fox. It, it's it's really funny that ESPN can't get that for Monday Night Football. That <laughs> seems like yeah. every week they're struggling with bad matchups, even though they paid a billion dollars for Monday Night Football. Uh, it, it's uh, it, it that's kind of a litmus test for me for the Rams. Although this week they have a tough game against the Chargers. Chargers are a very talented team, so we'll see what happens there. But I think the the Rams to me have looked like the best team of football for two weeks. I since halftime. And, you know, they didn't play in the preseason, so I'd give them a half. Okay, you need a half to get kind of into the flow and all that kind of stuff. Since halftime of week one, they've outscored their opponents 57-0. And that doesn't happen in the NFL. That's some, hey, Auburn is playing, you know, Coastal Carolina and, you know, whoever else in the second. That doesn't happen in the NFL. Now, I know Cardinals are terrible and the Braiders probably are terrible, but... The Rams have been great, but now I want to see them against an elite team. I want to see if the Rams do that to the Vikings, if they if they beat them by a couple touchdowns on Thursday night, all right, all right, then 
then the Rams are clearly your, your favorite to to win the Super Bowl this year. It's a fascinating game, and boy, uh, it's it's interesting that the NFL's really you know it kind of put a big emphasis on giving getting us some really good Thursday night matchups. There's no longer where you're just hey, we got to run out the string. Let's put our two worst teams on Thursday night just to get them a primetime game. They're they're really upping that uh, ante there. We talked earlier about Patrick Mahomes, the star of quarterbacks from the AFC two weeks in. The star of the NFC is like we all had it in the preseason, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Just <laughs> Great story. Going out, throw up for 400 yards in back-to-back games, and shows up wearing the gold chains and Deshaun Jackson's <laughs> outfit for the post-game press conference. How long does this continue? We get to see a Monday Night Football this week, which looked like a dog, Pittsburgh at Tampa before the year, and that was actually incredibly in- intriguing. How long does this go when they win Monday night? There's no way Jameis has his job back, right? I can't imagine. I can't even imagine if they lose. Like how how bad would Fitzy have to play to lose his job for week four? I, I just I don't know what they do. I really truly don't because Fitz we know who Ryan Fitzpatrick is. I was shocked actually when I, I you know, Mahomes and Fitzpatrick both won NFL player of the week. So I went back, I wanted to see, you know, if anybody had done it two two weeks in a row to start the season. Brady's the only one who has, by the way, offensively. And I noticed that Ryan Fitzpatrick won NFL Player of the Week five times in his career before this season. This was mm. six and seven for him. So he's probably a better quarterback than we, we kind of give him credit for, but he's never been able to put together a full season. He's inconsistent, and he's a 35-year-old who's played for seven different teams. He's not your future. The Buccaneers have to know this, but you can't bench him. You can't. What Jason Licht and Dirk Cutter, their GM and coach, don't have the job security to turn to Jameis and have watch Jameis lose four in a row. Not that I necessarily think that would happen, but it could. And what would the reaction be if if Fitz starts him off? Let's say he gets the fourth week and then they have the bye in the fifth week. Let's say they're three and one. They make the change during the bye week. They go to Jameis. They end up going eight and eight. Those guys are getting fired. Like, that's just the way it is. Like I, so, I don't know what they do. The best thing for the the future, the long term outlook of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is to start Jameis Winston. But I don't think he can do it. I just I thought before the year there was no way, there's no way Jameis is going to start Week Four because he's the future. But I didn't expect Fitz to have 800 yards and eight touchdowns by now either. So I think it's a job until, and I don't even think it's a short leash. I think. He's got to play bad for two, three games in a row for for that to revert back to Jameis. It's a crazy situation, but what else could the Buccaneers possibly do at this point? Mm. Last thing for you, Frank. Um, you know, if it doesn't go the Steelers' way on Monday night, they will head to the Baltimore Ravens on uh, a week from Sunday, looking for their first win of the year. We're seeing Antonio Brown. We've seen the whole Bell uh, thing unfold. Is Mike Tomlin's time in Pittsburgh coming to end? You know very well they don't like to fire coaches there. What is going on with the Steelers? Yeah, and you know, I, I got to start this by saying I think Mike Tomlin is a better coach than than people like to talk about him recently. Mike Tomlin, look at his career record; it's fantastic. I mean, for all the talk about like, oh, you only want a Super Bowl, Bill Cowher's players. I don't care. It was two years removed from Bill Cowher, more than that. I think it was. I think it was a couple more. He he still won a Super Bowl, and he took him to another one. They lost to Aaron Rodgers, having him playing out of his mind in 2010. He's a good coach. He is. I, yeah, they, they've had some disappointing losses here. They've had some disappointments in the playoffs. They haven't won or even gone to a Super Bowl with the Bill Brown, Roethlisberger trio. But he's a good coach. Now that said, even good coaches, the time comes to, to an end. You know, you just it just seems like 
last year that started with, and even the year before a little bit, with just constant drama out of the locker room, and it just seems like, no, you know, it, it, he's just losing it a little bit, and Le'Veon Bell holds out in a union rep. You, Ramon Foster rips Le'Veon Bell for mm-hmm. holding out for, you know, because of his time. I, that was a red flag to me. And then Antonio Brown just doesn't show up on Monday. And, you know, they obviously lost the game in a pretty bad way. And even the tie in week one was bad. Sometimes good coaches, it's just it's time. And I think it's just time for Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now there's 14 games left. They could win on Monday night. They could beat the Ravens. And we're sitting there talking a couple weeks. Well, oh, the Steelers are back. Who knows? Right. But. I think if you're looking at it right now, I think Mike Tomlin's his seat is hot. Let's put it that way. I I just, again, sometimes good coaches just reach the end of the line with a team after 10, 15 years, whatever it's been for him. They're not 15, but it it might be time for Mike Tomlin. I just don't know that that Steelers team just needs something. They need a they need a change. This is just not working for them anymore. Right now, anyway. Let's see what happens rest of the year. Browns Jets tonight. Do they open the fridges? Yes, the Bud Light get opened up and <laughs> everybody fridge. gets to get bombed. It's so weird. Just and looking. they better open. It. Can you imagine if there's a glitch after the Browns yeah, win? Oh they they can't get the lock on good. Oh <laughs> it's just so weird looking at the point spread and seeing Cleveland and that minus three next to their yeah. game. What do we see tonight? I think I think the Browns get it done because I think when these players are smart, they know the coaching staff knows when the schedule comes out. You say to yourself, we're on this whatever game losing streak, 17 game losing streak. Where's our win? And they all looked at Thursday night against the New York Jets and said, yep, that's our win right there. I think this is almost like, I, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm talking for Cleveland fans when I shouldn't be, but this is almost like their Super Bowl, I think. It's, <laughs> hey, let's, let, we haven't won since Christmas Eve of 2016. Let, this is our win. We we better win this one because you look at the rest of their schedule and it's like, well, okay, if you can't beat the Jets at home on a Thursday night, who you beat? So I, I think that you're going to get an A-plus performance out of the Cleveland Browns. I, I really do. Now, maybe there's some hangover for the way they lost against the Saints. That was an ugly, ugly loss. But I think that, that, that they just want to get this monkey off their back because they don't want to be sitting here at 0-6, 0-8, They Or, you know, I guess they got the one tie to. They just get the win. Get that zero off of your mark at the beginning of your record for the first time since the end of the 2016 season. It's It's... This is it for the Browns. If they can't win here, okay. Now you're talking about another pretty long losing streak coming, I think. So I think you're going to see almost a playoff-like atmosphere in Cleveland tonight. And you'll see one in uh, Iowa City, Kinnick Stadium on Saturday night. Frank, uh, best of (laughs) luck to your Badgers. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Frank Schwab. Appreciate it, as always. Good to talk to you. Take care. Frank Schwab, yahoosports.com. If you're an NFL fan, he's a must-read Yahoo Sports part of the shutdown corner. What are you doing wishing his Badgers good luck? He's a, he's one of my favorite guests. He's a nice guy, but come on. And you're one of my favorite guys, too. Yeah, and I'm, and he's I'm, a badger. Look, I'm pulling for your squad. Well, jeez. I'm being polite to Frank. Well, that's a good thing. Yes. Frank's, Frank's a great person. Absolutely. And he's very good to us. So, Jets-Browns tonight. There is an incredibly historic Browns-Jets game. Do you remember? <sighs> Browns and Jets game. You were still in Canada, I believe. Is that, my... that wasn't Heidi, was it? No, 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 no. After that, this is, I remember this game. An so. historic, uh, Brian Sype, the quarterback? Nope, Bernie Kosar. Kosar was QB-ing. Uh, Against O'Brien? 
Uh, no, it wasn't. I don't remember who the quarterback was. For okay, game. help me. Oh, was that the game that they didn't have an announcer? No, that no, was Miami. That was Miami. No, double overtime playoff game in the divisional round. Winner moved on, played Denver. and Yeah, it must have been Cleveland and won then. They won, but double overtime in remember. the playoffs. I remember uh, it was a Saturday, and this is... Right after my grandpa had passed. So mm-hmm. the Browns were his team. Mm-hmm. The Bears played right afterwards. So who had the game? Was it CBS even back then? NBC. Was it NBC? It was okay. Cricky and Trumpy. Oh, Cricky and Trumpy. Yeah. God, how good were they? They were good. I mean, Trippy hung around, or uh, Cricky rather, hung around too long. But yeah, that was a marquee broadcast team. Double OT. And I had to wait and wait and wait before the Bears game finally came on afterwards. Browns won it, so I was happy. Mm-hmm. Bears got throttled by Washington. In the divisional round, it was right on the heels of the '85 season, off the Super Bowl. Mm. They lose at '86, huh? '86 season, '87 playoffs. Right, yeah, right, right. It was January at that time. Twenty-two years ago, thirty-two then, years ago. We know what happens a week later with those Denver Broncos. Yes, we do, Trent Con. And then oh. we know knows what happened a couple of weeks later. Well, for those Denver Broncos, too. Yes, yeah. Not quite as good. No, Bears not quite squad. as good. We'll take a time out. A good conversation with Frank Schwab. Can you imagine, though, if there's a malfunction on the fridges? If Cleveland wins tonight. Yes. And I'm thinking they're going to. Not part of our picks, by the way. Okay, I'm not picking the Browns. Mark that one down. No, 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 no. But if there's a malfunction on the fridges... Because they're going to be – how are they going to do it? Is it just first come – if some guy's going to get in there, start throwing them to his friends, right. will there be any order in Anarchy. this thing? Right? Oh, my. There's going to be hammers, guys going to their cars to get some tools to break into the dang fridge because they were promised Bud Light. It's got to be tonight. It has to be. Th- I think it's tonight, Trent. Well, I am getting ready to depart for Vegas. Yes, I know you are. I'm struggling – Laying points with the Cleveland Browns. They're better. They're mm-hmm. at home. Mm-hmm. The defense is good. Mm-hmm. Maybe they fixed the kicking game yet. I'm Can gonna... I run this by you? Yeah. We seldom take a look at the Browns' schedule. <laughs> so if the fridge, whoa, doesn't whoa, whoa, whoa. Open, <laughs> fridge doesn't open tonight, they go to Raiders. Okay. Home to Ravens. Home to Chargers. At Buccaneers, at Steelers. Home to Chiefs. Home to Falcons. At Bengals. At Texans, home to Panthers, at Bronco, Bengal, Ravens. What's the most second most probable? Is it next week at the Raiders? Because they're not yeah. very good. I don't think Baltimore's great. Well, I did. Chargers. I think Baltimore will be Denver this week, by the way. There's lots of opportunities here. Do you think so? I do. Cleveland's win. Chargers was the game that was their last win, was it not? On a Saturday. It was, yeah, like the Saturday before Christmas. Because I believe Hugh is winless. He is winless. On Sundays. On Sundays, the right. last two years. Right. His win was a Saturday against the San Diego Chargers. Right. They had yet to move, and they should never have moved. Yeah, he has yet to uh, beat a franchise that is in the same location. Right. <laughs> Think about that. Uh, we'll come uh, back uh, when uh, we continue on here. It's the Ken Miller Show. Trent and I until 2, 1700 KBGG. All right, welcome back. As we continue on here on a Thursday, it's the Ken Miller Show. Trent and I take you until 2 o'clock. All of our guests appearing on the Dr. Stephen Fuller and Fuller Family Dentistry Hotline. couple of locations, 2822 East 29th Street in Des Moines and 410 8th Street Southwest in Altoona. Uh, let's get Andrew Logan here. We're going to go around the world of sports with Andrew. Well, maybe we'll narrow it down to baseball and college.
college football. Uh, Andrew joins us. Andrew, um, you know, it's, it's that time of year, right, where baseball, mm-hmm. we get really excited for October. We enjoyed following it right up until football season. Uh, but for whatever, well, I know the reason, it's King Football, kind of yeah. uh, takes a back seat a little bit. So if you don't mind, let's let's start with baseball, because I know you're a big baseball guy, a uh, huge baseball fan, and um now I'm going to get your take on a couple of things, and starting with the American League, where Boston mm-hmm. is running away as far yep. as the best record in baseball. Are they the best team in the American League, in your opinion? Well, it depends on how you see a team built. I think when you talk about built for the regular season, yes. But I know a few Red Sox fans, and I've never seen a more nervous group. Mm-hmm. Um, they're already convinced Chris Sale's going to lose the first playoff game. <laughs> um, you know, so... I think until otherwise proven, you go with the Astros because they've proven they can do it yep. in the postseason. And this generation, this era of the Red Sox has been kind of well, it's been disappointing. Um, but you know, for the regular season and what they've done in that division, you know, if this is going back to college football, if we were ranking them, you'd have to have the Red Sox number one. They just got to prove they can do it in the postseason. Speaking of the postseason, you know, we have the current spots where. Two wildcard teams play the one-game playoff, the five-game division series. Do you like the current setup of Major League Baseball and the playoff structure? Um, if I, you're asking me, like, if I waved a magic wand, you know mm. what I'd actually do? Mm. I'd expand the playoffs, I'd shorten the regular season, and I would turn August into baseball's version of March Madness. Mm. Um, because all you've got is preseason football. There would be games of urgency involving, mm-hmm. let's say, 12 to 16 teams, unlike the NBA playoffs, you don't know who's going to get the hot pitcher and can advance. You know, we all know Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, let's be honest, they're probably going to at least make the conference uh, finals, if not win it all again. Baseball's not that way. The Los Angeles Dodgers right now might be peaking at the right time. The Cleveland Indians might be the most dangerous team Mm -hmm. entering the playoffs. Um, that's what I would do if I'd wave a magic wand because I think it would bring an urgency and it would give more teams hope. So that's what I would do. Without the magic wand, I actually like that one game, wild card game. I know people want the series, but it has a Monday night football feel to it for two nights in a row. I think Mm -hmm. it's like Tuesday and Wednesday they play them. Um, So I kind of like it. I actually look forward to those. But I think the biggest problem baseball faces now is all the people talking about what's wrong are baseball people. And I don't think they get enough of an outside view. And we are now a tournament culture. And as much as I love baseball and I love the fact they play every day, I just think it's completely missing a chance to kind of own the stage. And, man, could you imagine a 12-team or 16 mm-hmm. playoff that took up through the month of August? How just think how it changed the dynamic of, of the sports conversation in the summertime. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Andrew Logue uh, talking sports with us here. Guys, we are witnessing in the Baltimore Orioles, historically one of the worst teams of all time, and I did not know this little nugget until recently, and I think of all t- places I heard it was on a Cubs broadcast last night, or one night rather, with, with Len uh, and Deshays. They're talking about the Orioles, and they're 60 games out of it, roughly 60 games, but the team in front of them is the Blue Jays, and there's a 26-game gap between the worst team in the division and the next-to-last uh, next team in the division, and there's only been one other time when we've seen this big of a gap between the bottom feeder and the, one, and the team just in front of them, and I think that number was 29. This Orioles team is trending 
as the worst team in Major League Baseball history, Andrew. Yeah, um, and and it's you feel honestly bad for for the Baltimore fan because you guys know you, we grew up. I mean, they were a bellwether yes, they were. franchise in the seventies. Yep. I mean, it was Earl Weaver. You know, a little trivia question is actually Joe Altabelli was the manager when they won it in '83, and you know, and they've had good teams in the '90s and such. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I can maybe make an argument. This is exactly what the Orioles need to do, kind of like my beloved Royals, where you have to bottom out. I actually am one of the people I don't necessarily feel as bad about the whole idea of tanking if it gives you a chance to hit the reset button. It's miserable right now in that division. I don't know when the Orioles are going to be able to be competitive again, but would it? Would you feel any better? Would the Oriole fan, would they sell that many more tickets if they were 10, 15 wins better? Mm. I don't know that they would. I think you have to kind of grin and bear it at a certain point to start over because, seriously, I don't know that you know Orioles winning 68 games would make any of the, right. the fans in Baltimore <laughs> that much happier even as embarrassing as this individual season is. Speaking of botting out, your uh, Kansas City Royals are doing the same, and I'll be honest, probably the least amount of Royals games I've watched uh, in a long time. That's a good point, Trent. That's happened this you. season. So so get yep. us up to date. Uh, what is happening, and, and how long is this rebuild going to take to get them back to respectability? Oh, I see. Well, and that's the thing. The vague term respectability, if you're talking about being a legitimate playoff contender, I'm going to say 22, 23. Um, but they are imminently a more fun team to watch right now than they were two months ago. Um, I've told people all along, you've got to treat this Royal team like they're an expansion franchise. And you remember the old days where the way they started them is everyone got, you got to pick the, from the worst teams, worst three players of every other franchise. And, no offense to John Jay, Lucas Duda, and Ryan Goins, mm-hmm. but that's what the Royals started out with. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, they've traded those guys, made some promising deals. Suddenly, they got a starting pitcher and a center field out of it, and now you have this team of 25- and 26-year-olds. They, they've got speed. They've got athleticism. They're hit and miss. Uh, Ryan O'Hearn may hit two 400-foot home runs, and then he may go two for 21. But you suddenly got a young team that you feel like you can watch grow. And the best prospects are now in single A. They just won the uh, low A uh, championship in Lexington. So maybe things are up. But relevant is a, a key kind of a fluid term because I don't know they're going to be a playoff contender for about another four or five years. But I kind of am looking forward to next season a lot more than I thought I would three months ago. Hmm. Who do you think, as we switch over to the National League, I have one more in baseball, and then I do want to get to college football and get your take on the two in-state teams. Of course, there is a massive game at Kinnick Stadium on uh, this coming Saturday night. But if you're a Cubs fan and you've been watching the duel against the Brewers, and yes, the season-long series went your way, I think they were... I don't know, um, 11 and 8 in the 19 games that they played against each other, somewhere around that. Um, but this Brewers team, with the way that they're built in the bullpen and the acquisitions that they've made, and as you well know, a couple of ex-Royals making yeah. significant contributions uh, in Milwaukee. I think that's the the team that the Cubs least wants to see in that five-game series, knowing that Brewers bullpen as good as there is in the game. Well, and then we're not even talking about the intangibles of Cubs could likely finish with the best record in the National League, and the Brewers might have the second best record, and all the pressure and weight is going to be on the big-money Cubs. 
the Brewers have a quiet anxiety because like a Royals or a Cincinnati Reds or a Pirates, I think you only get a certain window, and they're clearly going for it now. But in the, in the eyes of the nation, everyone's going to kind of assume the Cubs are the team to beat. No real pressure or weight on Milwaukee. And as you mentioned, and, and, and Yelich, what, two cycles in the last two weeks, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, you know, they kind of are sneaky hot. Just like I kind of think Cleveland could be very dangerous, too. I agree. Just because no one's really talking. There's no weight of, you know, all you want 100 some games, you should be the team to be. They, they just kind of quietly can show up. And, you know, I've always said this, for all the talk in baseball about the single wild card game, I think the biggest advantage comes is that whoever wins that wild card game, you could have 83 wins, but you're suddenly on even footing with the division winners. And if you split one of the, those two games on the road, you suddenly have a chance. And if the Brewers come in, they go to Wrigley and get one out of two. Now you go to Milwaukee and anything can happen. It's uh, Kluber, Carrasco. They have a bullpen that yeah. is pieced together this year. But if Andrew Miller's right, you know what he can do come playoff time. Speaking yeah. of bullpens, you're, you're talking about the former Royals up there in Milwaukee. I've maintained that the Brewers are the last team the Cubs want to see in that short five-game yeah. divisional round. Being built for the playoffs, we kind of talked about this earlier with the American League, but if you're a Cubs fan, is that the team you don't want to draw in that divisional round? Yeah, I agree. I think it is Milwaukee, for all I mentioned before. And by the way, that lineup is pretty salty, too. Mm-hmm. You know, up up top. There's not a, a void. You know, sometimes you get that playoff team that relies on starters, or they're really heavy. And the bottom three batters, you can kind of go fix a sandwich or something. You know, <laughs> that that's not the Brewers. That is not the Brewers. And I agree. I think they're, they're absolutely, and you could have a case where the two best teams in the National League meet in the divisional round. We say that, though, and I also think the Dodgers, if they can pull out the West, um, again, that's kind of, they're kind of a sneaky team, too, because a year ago we were talking about a potential dynasty and one of the greatest teams ever before they lost to Houston. And they had all these injuries. We're, what, 16 and 26 early in the season. They could be rounding into shape, too. But, yes, immediately, if I'm a Cubs fan, I'm hating the idea of having to meet the Brewers early on. Hmm. Let's switch over to uh, football, Andrew. And is it is it over the top to to think that we, uh, game number four, September the 22nd, a 12-game schedule, yet game number four, is by far and away the most critical game on this Hawkeye schedule. And you could probably say the same for the Badgers, too. With the two-game swing, knowing that the Big Ten West does not look like, let's be honest, murderer's row, no. uh, with the exception of uh, Wisconsin and the way the Hawks have got uh, their season off with that defense in particular. Is it crazy to think, are, are, are we overselling the importance of this game on Saturday night? No, I don't think so. I uh, was able to I helped the Ames Tribune out when Iowa State and Iowa played. You know, I was really impressed with that Iowa defense. Look what Iowa State did the next week against Oklahoma. Um, I think this is a sneaky good. This is one of those Kirk Ferentz kind of unheralded sneaky good teams. Uh, Wisconsin didn't look that great last week, obviously. Um, I think it's all there. I, I think the hype machine kicks into full gear if they do win this week. Because, as you said, the rest of the schedule certainly looks manageable. Wisconsin maybe isn't as good as people thought. And I'm telling you, Iowa was really impressive defensively. If Stanley gets into a, I hate to say it, a Brad Banks sort of rhythm or a Nathan Chandler kind of rhythm, if Stanley gets into it with that offense clicks, I think they become a really, really good team. Because I was impressed with Iowa's defense because 
Iowa State has some speed, and you, you barely notice when they play those two teams met at Kinnick because they, they were bottled up. Speaking of Iowa State, your perspective on what is an 0-2 start. They missed game one. They got the, the makeup game with Incarnate Word now at the end of the season. It's been so weird, so jumbled here in the early season. What do you see from the Cyclones going forward? Well, going back to it, what I saw last week against Oklahoma, first off, this team doesn't flinch. We saw that last mm-hmm. year when they beat Oklahoma. I think Matt Campbell, the, the simplest way I could say it is I think he really knows what he's doing. I even like in the post-game press conference uh, Saturday after a loss, he has a nice way, a good balance of he's not taking moral victories, but he wasn't beating his guys up either. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I think they've got some speed. They've got some talent. Uh, I think uh, the backup kid, uh, uh, Nolan, Zed Nolan, played a little better than I thought. He looked, yeah. you know, he, he was firing everything high at Kinnick Stadium, and he thought, uh-oh, where do we get? He looked okay last week. You know, he kind of found his range. Montgomery is a, is a bull. Um, Iowa State's pretty good, and I kind of laugh. They're, they're going to be 0-2, and I still think they're going to win eight games. Yeah, I, they, they could, no doubt about it. Andrew, listen, great to catch up with you. We will do so in the weeks to come. I appreciate it, Andrew. Thank you. No problem, guys. Thank Not you. Good to talk to you. We talked baseball and a little college football. Uh, and good to get baseball back into the yes. discussion, right? Well, Tuesdays and Wednesdays is when we watch baseball. Now, Thursday, we'll turn our attention back to football. Yeah, we got a game tonight, Trent. Monday night, Monday night or Thursday <laughs> night or the number one draft pick who's not playing versus the number three draft pick who is playing. Speaking of baseball, mm-hmm. who's the MVP in each league? Oh, my. I mean, it's usually by this point, we yeah. have a great idea. You have in the American League, you can go with two of the Red Sox. You uh-huh. go Mookie Betts, who he would be my guy. OPS over a thousand. Yeah, speed. He might get to thirty thirty. He's mm-hmm. very close to that. You have JD Martinez, though. Do they split the vote? They could, Trent. That's not crazy to think. And, and uh, I would go Betts. Yeah, I would go Betts. Of those two, I, I think I like Betts a little bit. See, more. I think the, the 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 difficult decision is going to be in the National League. Right right now, I give Baez a slight edge. Mm-hmm. Talked about Yelich yesterday. I mean, his team's going to be a wild card team, and you know, look what right. he's doing for that team. Jacob Degrom is having the his the most valuable year to his team, but his team stinks. Matt Carpenter. We talked about that. What about he no. got hot and then seems to have cooled off. Although maybe yes. it's just that maybe I've cooled off watching or following the Cardinals as I was because <laughs> they went on that tear, and he was a he was the. Main cog behind it. And it was a perfect time for us. Mm-hmm. It was right before football season. Right, so he'll get some votes. I agree with you. He'll get some votes. Speaking of this, uh, here's Carpenter's home away splits. Mm-hmm. Normally, guy's better at home. He's batting just 246 in Bush. OPS a shade over 800. 12 homers, 27 RBI, and uh, 26 extra base hits. On the road, OPS over 1,000. 23 home runs versus 12. Mm. 50 RBI versus 27 mm. at home, 49 extra base hits wow. versus 26. What a weird split that is. Yeah, that's an interesting one, Trent. I'm glad you found that one. I, I, that one um, that surprises <laughs> yes. me. Nolan Arenado, I know you like him a lot. Well, yeah, except and for throws- last night, and his fans, the fans <laughs> feel the same way. Um, no, he's great. It's Trevor's story, but he's hurt now. Yeah, and well, and talking about home road splits. You're right. It's, it's, it's a rocky, and it's substantial. OPS just about 1,100. Have you been to Coors? I never have. I've never been to Denver outside of a couple what? layovers. Yeah. Never oh, been to spectacular. Denver. 
Well, my uh, my cousin's my wife's cousin just moved out there. Yeah. Now you got a reason to go out there and have a, place a reason to, stay. to go out there, place to stay, all that fun stuff. So that will be one of our next trips. No ten doubt. hour drive, ten nine forty five, maybe. Yeah. Boy, I made that trip a lot when I was my son was first born and I was living in Denver and yeah. coming back to see him. That's a long, lonely highway, especially nothing worse than eastern Colorado, western Nebraska. It is the armpit of the world. Well, Saskatchewan is. <laughs> To be fair, <laughs> but uh, this desolate, is huh? Yeah, it's just now. Look, at I haven't made the trip since the early '90s, so maybe something has changed. But uh, boy, it was it was tough. But then you, all of a sudden, you, those mountains keep getting closer and yeah. closer, and then the lights of Denver. And now I loved living there. Loved it. Worst drive I ever had. We were going down to the Alamo Bowl 2001. Mm-hmm. Five guys packed in a midsize sedan. No. Twenty, twenty-one years old. Yeah. And uh, trying to see who could fart the worst. Right, right, yes. And on the way down, my shift was I got the, we left in the evening, so overnight, and I had the Kansas Turnpike by yourself, Mm -hmm. no lights, right? Nowhere to turn off. Was GPS available? Probably not. No, it was maps. We had. Maps with us. MapQuest.com. Yes, we printed that out. And do you remember? I, I'll never forget thing. Wow, I can't believe it. <laughs> what a great thing. MapQuest.com. Yes. This is going to be the, this is going to change the way we drive. It's the future. Right. Look at us. Yep. A couple years later, GPS gave it to us. Well, and, and did you buy a Garmin? I did. No, no, I did. Oh, I did. And then all of a sudden, the next year, it's on the phones. Right, yeah. Thank God I didn't buy stock in that company. Can you imagine? It's- People still buy them, though. Give a, give a, give a Garmin. Remember the commercial <laughs> yes. did Christmas, the jingle? <laughs> give a, give a, give a Garmin. Those things are, I remember using one. In fact, we we're driving down, my wife and I, when we just started dating, we went down to the Alabama-Tennessee game. I've told you about that mm-hmm, trip before. Mm-hmm. And we had a Garmin. Somebody had because their phones weren't capable of GPS Plugged yet. it in your lighter. Yep, yep. But it had an update. Now, do cars even have lighters anymore? They must. I think they, well. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. But we plug it in, we're going through, we're coming back through St. Louis, and we're in the middle of nowhere, and we basically hit a dead end because the GPS hadn't <laughs> updated. We didn't right. update it before we left. Oh, my. There was road construction. We ran right into it. Oh, jeez. All right, we will, uh, we're going to run right into a commercial. We'll be back after this. Trent and I take you until 2 on the Ken Miller Show on 1700 KBGG. That'll wrap things up for Thursday, Trent Condon. You yep. have a wonderful trip. Now, tomorrow, you're going to leave me all by myself, but I'm going to have some friends. You will. I'm going to have Kakert. Yep. I'm going to have Dylan. As usual on Fridays. As usual on Fridays. Um, Cappy, Cappy will be, will be yeah. here at 1 o'clock. Good point. Paul Allen, the voice of the Vikings. Vikings and the Bills. Do you think you'll want to talk about Jimmy Butler? Maybe a touch. Maybe a touch, right? Get 45 seconds on Butler. Get, yeah, and then before, because the Bills, that game's going to be awful. Oof. Do you think there's a look-ahead factor to the Thursday night game? Ah. Because we talked about it with Frank Schwab earlier. I mean, the Rams and the Vikings. 17 points is a lot in an NFL game. It is, right? Buffalo's terrible. Buffalo's god-awful. With the first pick in the 2019 <laughs> NFL draft. Um, so we'll do that, Paul. You'll be here. Dave Sinekin will probably chime in. You know what? I don't even know where the Packers are playing this week. Washington. In Washington? They play the Redskins. <laughs> no, but are they? you don't know. So it's the Redskins and the uh, and the Packers, and they'll collide. So, yeah, I think we'll do a little preview on that. Because, um, and you'll have Bama. 
Bam, well, Bam will wrap things up, and you're going to leave your picks? Yes, my picks. That'll be no, winners. were these the ones you're selling? Will these be your real picks? or <laughs> Enough with making fun of me for selling picks. <laughs> oh, we Tout all... Condon along the way. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Okay, well, you have a wonderful time. Thank you. I will uh, get us through a Friday edition of Football Friday. Who's coming in to help me out with the board? Jacob Beals? You got Beals. Oh, we're in good shape. Yes. Look forward to him coming in here. Uh, so we'll be back tomorrow at noon. Appreciate you being with us here today. All of our guests on the Dr. Stephen Fuller Fuller Family Dentistry Hotline. Two locations, 2822 East 29th Street, Des Moines, 410 H Street, Southwest in Altoona. Until tomorrow, have a great night, everybody. Go Browns. Do the fridges get unlocked tonight? We will see. Talk to you tomorrow.